You're listening to the Theology Mom podcast. And now, here's Theology Mom, Krista Bontrager. Hey, everyone. This is Krista Bontrager, and we're ready to roll into another conversation about critical race theory. I'm here joined once again with my co-host from All the Things, Monique Dusan. Hello, hello. Be sure to follow her at the real Monique D on Twitter. And thank you for the seven of you who are following me. <laughs> I appreciate it. <laughs> we'll get those tweets rolling. So we're going to have a little conversation here on the question, why is it so hard to talk about race? Yeah, I think it's such an important topic, especially for the cultural climate that we're in. Something's always happening in the news. There's something else that's this person said this and it's race related or that person did something else. And, it's and then race our related. social media blows up and yes, people and then you're pick stuck sides in and, Twitter. Yeah. And yes. So and it's all quite toxic. It's all toxic and it's all happening behind computer screens or um, tablets and phones, but very rarely face to face. Yes. It might happen in groups of like minded people where you talk about the other group. Yes. But very seldom do you get people who experience the world so differently to actually have a sane and peaceful conversation with each other. Yeah. What we did one night was we sat at our favorite coffee place. Yep. And we had the laptop and we just said, okay, how do each of us answer this question? Why is it so hard for people to talk about race? And we just pushed the laptop back and forth with each other. We didn't talk about it. We just, one of us would type a couple of reasons why, then the other person would type and then push the laptop mm-hmm. the other side of the table. The it other person kind of like push and then a gasp, like, <gasps> yeah. And then we'd read yeah. what each other wrote. Yep. And, and then, then we just type kept, our own. Yeah. <gasps> Did you really say that? Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. That's so how it went. we came up with a lot of reasons. Yeah. So we're going to try to get into it here. And these are in no particular order. None. Uh, they're just in the order that we thought of them. At the coffee joint. Mm-hmm. So we're going to talk about that. So the answer, the big answer to why is it so hard to talk about race? You're about to see it's complicated. It is very complicated. Yeah. It, there is so many pieces to it. So much emotion. So many. Just, yeah, it's very, very complicated. Perceptions, worldviews, beliefs. Definitions. Pre- definition, pre-understanding. Yes. Everything. Yeah. And the presupposition that. I stand on versus the presupposition that someone else stands on. And then testing and, the presuppositions, whose presuppositions are better, whose bias is more accurate. Mm-hmm. How do we filter the data? Oh, yeah. It's hard. It it's, is it's really hard. Really, really hard. Yeah. So, all right, well, let's go through these. It's not child's play. I'll tell you that. You know, Although I bet children do it much better than we do. <laughs> all right, let's go break these down. Uh, number one. Nobody wants to be wrong. There's that. No. So I like being right. We plant our flags and we stand our ground mm-hmm. and I'm going to show you why I'm right and you're wrong. Yes. And I will be and right. And both sides do this. Uh, both sides. Yes. Yeah. The, none of these answers or thoughts are indicative of only one side. Yeah. They, both, both sides play and do the exact same things. That's a great point. We want to say, like, we're not targeting any one side because we're we're all sinners and we all seem to interestingly make a lot of the similar similar mistakes. Yes. Yes. <laughs> so yeah. It's so nobody wants what happens when you wear skin. Yeah. <laughs> so nobody wants to be wrong. No, nobody wants to be wrong. And that probably leads us to number two is that everyone wants to be validated or heard without 
engaging in what I call generous listening. Yes. Yeah. We so. just, not only do we want to be right, we want the other person to say that we're right. Yes. Because <laughs> it only matters when you say that I'm right. Yeah. So let's get to that. Yeah. yeah. And the the antidote to that is generous listening. Yes. And understanding where someone else is coming from to be empathetic. To not just listen, to wait for them to stop talking so that you can jump in. That's not listening. Yes. Uh, listening means I'm trying to understand the other person's point of view well enough that I could actually repeat it back to them. Um, I always say, like, you know, you've really understood someone else's position when you could go try to defend that position to a third person mm -hmm. and potentially persuade that person yes. to that point of view. You know, that's when you've really listened. So, okay. That's number number one and number two. Number three. We have race conversations in an echo chamber only with people who look like us. Yes. Or think like us. Mm -hmm. And I think that you have, and, and I have both said before that that was our tendency before we stepped into this friendship yeah. of you had a lot of conversations about race in your life. You've had a, a lot of discussions. I've only had a few, but we tended to gravitate to have those discussions with people that we know would sort of agree with us, thought like us, see the world from the same point of view. Well, I didn't really think that there was another way to see the world because this is, this was right. <laughs> and all of my friends validated my rightness, you know? So or those thoughts and... And then there was yeah. the otherness of when we met. Yeah, and I was like, oh. Oh, you think that? Yeah. Oh, you you don't look like an enemy, but clearly you are. <laughs> <laughs> and then we got over ourselves. Well, we're definitely a work in progress. We definitely are yeah. a work in progress. Okay, number four is... It isn't my experience, so it can't be true. Yes, I see this a lot. From both sides. Well, I've never noticed racism. Yeah. I've never experienced racism. Yes. So it must not be a it thing must anymore. Not be. Yes. Well, if only you understood. It's not your experience, so it it can't be true. It's not my experience, so it can't be true. Right. Uh, number five, there must be another reason. Yes. But one of the things that I've argued and have said even recently is like that white people will always want to give another reason. Like, it can't be racism. It has to be this. And there must be there mu an alternative explanation or we should give the person the benefit of the doubt. Yes. Yeah. When it can, to a person of color, be clear and be like... This is clearly no, racist. clearly racist. Yeah. You know, like, I'm in a store and the clerk is following me around and has been following me around. And this has happened to me multiple times. Follow me around for 15 minutes and, well, maybe they're just protecting their merchandise. Then they're, they're not following the white person. The white person can take just as well as I can. Don't they need to protect their merchandise equally? But you will hear things like, oh, well, they just want to make sure maybe they maybe they want to make sure that you're well taken care of. Maybe they want to make sure that their merchandise, you know, is fine. Or maybe they maybe they're cleaning. And I'm just like, that's no, nah. <laughs> just no. They following me around because I'm black. I think for for white people, there's there's often the fear of um, not engaging with black people because we're afraid that there will be the accusation of racism. And we're like, no, really, there's another reason. We promise. 
it's not why it's happening, you know? <laughs> and, you know, sometimes we're, we're just, we're kind of preemptively nervous mm-hmm. about the accusation. And so then we distance even more from black people. We don't even want to be in any risk whatsoever. And so then we're like, sure. Yeah. You know, just take my stuff or do this. And yeah, yeah, yeah. That's cool. And take my place in line, cut in front of me. Yeah. You first. You and mean the lady who offered me her spot in line was afraid? Pro- possibly. That's horrible. <laughs> I don't even know what to say to that. So, okay, let's go on to number six here. Uh, we assume that they won't care anyway. Who is they? The other person, whoever's in the other group. Okay. If I bring up issues related to race, they're going to be like, meh, you don't know how hard We've had it. Yeah. We're in the comparison game or the victim Olympics, mm-hmm. you know, and it's like, well, then I just, I'm, I'm not going to bring it up. Like, why bother? Mm-hmm. I, you know, that we're, I, if I bring up my experience, they're just going to bring up their experience. And then we're going to be in an experience stalemate of whose family has been more victimized, more poor, overcome more obstacles, living in the most poverty or the most affluence now. And, mm-hmm. and it's like, they aren't going to care about my experience, my struggle. Yeah. Or, well, I'm black. So you possibly couldn't have experienced racism because you're white. This is not it, even a thing. It's not even a thing. So then if I try to bring it up, it's like, well, you don't know. Yeah. You don't really know. Mm-hmm. Okay. Number seven, uh, People get clumped into categories instead of remaining individuals. Ooh, all y'all white people be working me. I'm telling you, all y'all white people. All y'all black people. All us blacks. Yes, yes. And I think that that's true, that um, oftentimes when things of race come up, what I've heard, especially when I was in university, it was like, well, what do the black people think? Oh, you're in the classroom. Yeah, I'm in the you're classroom. I'm the, the only black you're person. You're the poor only black person in the room. Yes. They're talking about slavery or something. And I'm like, well, what's the black perspective? Yes. Uh, would you like to speak for all yes. black people right now? And I'm like, what the heck? No, <laughs> let's not clump us all together. But even on a serious note, when something happens and it's put in the media, then all black people become like this. Or when a white person says something in the media, all white people become like that. So it's just everybody's clumped together and and that leaves no room for individual relationship because now I'm only viewing you as your people group. And when we step into situations of clumping everyone together, we don't get to know anyone individually. And if you're not knowing anyone individually and having a relationship, how do you talk about something as sensitive as race? Except, though, when you look at things like racism, especially according to the critical theory definition of racism or critical race theory, all whites all whites are, are, are racist. This. All whites They're all are the clumped oppressor. together. They are all clumped together. And that, for me, would... And all blacks should think this way. Yes. And if you don't, then then you're in you're on the wrong side of the conversation. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. So then it's like, well, how do I go and build relationship with my oppressor? Yeah. It, even when you may be oppressing me or oppressing people groups unknowingly, yeah. because I carry this um this forethought about all whites, to me it would just break down any possibility for a relationship. Yeah. Okay, let's look at numbers. They won't forgive or let 
go of the past. That one I think is a, a big one for, especially for white people is we're always wondering like, okay, slavery was bad. It was a horrible institution. We've progressed as a society. We've enacted laws to try to help protect people. You know, we have affirmative action. We've had black Supreme Court justices. We elected majority elected black president twice. So and yet we're noticing in culture people are still angry. So what do we have to do to appease the situation? And it can quickly kind of come into like this very hopeless feeling for for white people of like, I don't know what else to do. They're not going, they're just not going to forgive us. Yes, I can see what you're saying. And while I believe that America as a nation is so much farther along than where they were in 1864 or 1960 or 1995 for that matter, there's still so much more progress to be made. There's still things that are deeply rooted in some of the systems in America. And when I say systems, I'm thinking like the judicial system or welfare systems and things like that, that need to really be overhauled and broken down to be more equitable toward people of color. And so I think a lot of the rage that people are experiencing now and what looks like unforgiveness is really a outcry of things that people are seeing within society. And so, yes, I do think that we have made tons of progress. And no, I don't agree with the definition of racism as all white people are racist. But what I would invite white people to step into is to looking at data, looking at information and stepping into seeing that while we have come so far, there's still so much further we can go. But I think that perspective highlights the very reason why so many people don't want to talk about race is because, you know, one side has a mindset of why don't you let it go already about the past? And the other side has the mindset of we still have so much more work to do to push into the future. Mm-hmm. And those two perspectives often get, they just go head to head. And that's where a lot of conflict comes. I think it's unfortunate if some people are unforgiving of others for the past. You know, if Blacks are like holding people at bay or, you know, in in contempt for what happened, you know, during slavery and things like that. And, and I also find it extremely unfortunate if whites would refuse to look at things that are still continuing to happen today sure. that are very real. Yeah. And I think it's important to keep those things as to decouple those things, mm-hmm. you know, that both are important. Both are important. Yeah. Both can live. So I'm like forgiveness can live and a moving forward and understanding like that into, so, into something, into better. something better and something yeah. new can also live. Yeah. That's good. Okay. Number nine, I put this one down is that there is no clearly defined objective or end goal 
in race conversations? What are we working toward? I've asked you that so many times. Like when we use the term racial reconciliation, what in the world am I being reconciled to? Like, what would reconciliation look like? How would I know we have now achieved racial reconciliation? What would be the end goal of that? And I think that because that isn't always clearly explained, white people have a tendency to want to not show up for race conversations, not engage in conferences about racial reconciliation, because we we feel like or we perceive there's no end goal here other than to make me feel like I'm a horrible person. You know, I think that's a really valid point. I think that in many conferences and things like that, racial reconciliation, those words are very like hotbed words and keywords, especially in the church. And people aren't putting forth like this is the clear agenda. This is what you're going to walk away with when you enter into a space of reconciliation. I even wonder if words like reconciliation should be tossed out and we just call it something new completely that more clearly identifies the goal of said event or meeting. Okay. But yeah, that's fair. Number 10. All right. It's not my job to make the first move. I feel like y'all brought me here and my ancestors. Well, I got to make the first move. I'm just playing. I don't feel like that. I'm just playing. I think many people feel like, hey, if you have a problem with me, then why don't you come and talk to me? If you have a problem with the color of my skin, then why don't you address the color, address me and the issue of the color of my skin? I don't need to make the first move because maybe I don't have the problem or maybe I do have a problem and you can deal with that if you want to. I think though, what's interesting to me is Christians do have somewhat of an obligation to go make the first move in terms of if there's an offense between ourselves and another person, especially if they're another Christian, our job is to, it says in Matthew, like, leave our our sacrifice at the altar and go be reconciled to that person. And so if a race issue is such a, a dividing line between me and another Christian, I do somewhat have an obligation to go try to make the first move um, from a Christian s- standpoint. If, if I'm just sitting back and say, well, if, you know, I, I just, it's not my job. Well, it might be mm-hmm. like it. It might be your job to to be at peace with all men. What kind of invitation are you for that conversation? If people experience you as potentially defensive and closed, that's not a great invitation for somebody to come even approach you in the first place. Good so, point. Yeah. Good point. Um, number eleven. There is always a reason not to or why it won't work, or it, it isn't my responsibility. That kind of goes along with number 10. Like, there's always a reason not to. It's not my fault. It's not my responsibility. Um, if you want to talk about race or you have questions about race, why is it my responsibility to explain things to you? Okay, number 13, this one I put down, which is name-calling. Nobody wants to be in a conversation where they're going to, they know up front, they're probably going to be called a lot of names. That's true. And I think that white people in particular are um, hesitant to engage in conversations with black people about race because 
immediately we feel like, all right, how many minutes, how many seconds is it going to take before this person calls me a racist, says I'm privileged, says I'm fragile, and they start throwing all these labels on me? It's like that for me doesn't sound like a fun time. And it doesn't sound like a productive conversation is happening between me and the other person. So I'm just going to opt out. Well, I also think that in the body of Christ, we shouldn't be name calling. We should be speaking over people what Christ spoke over us as his bride, his church. And that if it isn't aligning with scripture, it could be considered a curse that we're speaking over someone else. And we shouldn't be speaking those things over people anyway. Conversely, for blacks, it would be things like, well, how long are you going to be the victim? Mm. You know, that would be name calling on the other side. Yeah, that's good. Yeah. Yeah. So... Um, yeah, people don't name call. Let's just not, let's grow up and we will not call names. I always try to say, and I'm not perfect at this, but I, I try to say like, I don't want to speak something over another human being that the father doesn't speak over them, mm-hmm. you know, and that they're my brother and sister in the Lord. If they believe in Jesus, even if they don't believe in Jesus, they're still created in the image of God. And the book of James says we shouldn't speak curses over people. Yeah. So uh, number, number 14, 14. Uh, probably also, this was me, is a lack of clearly defined terms. This is probably my number one thing yes. is um, lack of definitions that connect to scripture. I see so much of this in the social justice, uh, critical race theory conversation, and we don't really clearly define a lot of these terms. I remember when you and I first started having race conversations, I said, well, how do you define that? What's your definition for that? In the beginning, that was highly frustrating to you because I'm like, I can't talk about something for which there's no definition. Mm-hmm. But as it turns out, and I think maybe I've persuaded you that definitions actually are really vital when you're talking about these things. They are really vital, but also what you see, especially in critical theory, is the changing of definitions. And so highly technical definitions. Mm -hmm. And if you don't use those, then you'll also be verbally assaulted. Yeah. 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 So um, lack of clearly defined terms is definitely up there on the list. I think that also goes back to things like reconciliation um, and defining the goal, defining the term. What are we doing with this? Yeah. Um, Where are we going? Where are we going when we look at words like justice? Yeah. You know, how do we define that? Where does that lead us? Yeah. Okay. Number 15, social media. In all capital letters, exclamation exclamation points. Yes, that was mine. My thought behind that was we don't talk about racism. We tweet about racism or we we use a device as a protective shield. It's easy for me to call someone a racist or to call someone privileged or fragile when I can hide behind a screen with, you know, an emoji as my screensaver or my, you know, little icon where my face should be. It it becomes really easy and protective. And to me, it's the coward's way out. Um, it's really hard to have these conversations face-to-face. It's really hard to turn off your computer or your phone and say, hey, let's sit down and let's have this out. Let's talk about it. Yeah. Yeah. Okay, number 16. That leads right into the next one, which is lack of deep relationship with someone from another race or culture. And I think it's really important to distinguish between being polite, Mm -hmm. like 
you know, sometimes you hear people say, um, well, uh, you know, I have a black teacher or I have a black coworker and, and I'm and, not racist. I know I, three it, black people. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. But to have a significant relationship with somebody from it's a different. different race, different culture, somebody that you go out to dinner with, that you hang out with, you go on vacation as a family with, that is... That's different. That's way different. That's real relationship. Yeah. And that's... If if you don't have that, it's easy to just kind of... And I think both sides do this. Yes. Is just keep people at a safe distance. And then I don't have to have uncomfortable conversations about race because there's nobody in my life that I have something at stake with yep. to, to try to maintain a relationship with. Yep. And I wrote um, a little side note, say that one again, <laughs> because it's so true. You can't just jump into race conversations with the person on the bus stop. You know, don't just walk into the office one day and be like, Hey, I saw this video. Who wants to talk about race? It's in the context of deep relationship where you'll be able to hear someone's pain or someone's thoughts and, um, you know, and be able to share your own. Yeah. Yeah. All right. Number 17, Which, unwillingness. So what were you going to say? I was going to say, I think 17 is connected to 16 because if you're in a relationship, I think that it's 17 makes sense because 17 is an unwillingness to allow for mistakes or the flip side is a fear of making a mistake. And while we're there, we should talk about 18 unwillingness to admit when mistakes are made to me all of those just kind of go together it's like unwillingness to allow for mistakes so either side it's like but you didn't say it this way but you need to say that if you, you need to you need to use the word the term this way mm -hmm. or the way i use it and yeah so yeah yeah so unwillingness to allow for mistakes and then the fear of making mistakes. So I'm not going to say anything because I'm probably not going to say it right. And then unwilling to admit when a mistake has been made, when I have made a mistake. And I completely raised my hand to this. I have been guilty of, I'm not going to admit that either A, I don't know as much as I really say that I do. I want to be right. Yeah, Going back to num right. number one. Mm -hmm. <laughs> yeah. Or I'm just completely wrong. I would also add like a point eighteen B. An unwillingness to allow minds to be changed. But sometimes we just change our minds. I know that in a lot of our conversations, I think anyway, both of us have changed our minds. We've persuaded about, each yeah. other on like, okay, you know, that's a fair point. I haven't considered that. Yeah. And it changed our minds. Yeah. yeah. So, but I don't think that at times the opposite party, the people behind the party, yeah. or that person may feel like the people behind them would feel like, they're going to come for me if I change my mind. They're not going to be happy if I change my mind. I don't know if I can change my mind. What will my friends say if I change my mind? Yeah, that's good. Okay. okay, so number 19, conversation fatigue. For me, what I see in this is that people just get sick of talking about race. They get sick of reading about it on social media. They get sick of the fighting. And so then they just want to unhook and avoid avoid the topic. I think on, and we'll probably hit this later too. I think that happens on both sides that people are like, do we have to talk about this again? Do I have to answer another question? You know, it, it happens on both sides. 
yeah, it's just not fruitful. It's not going anywhere. Yeah. You know, I don't feel like it's result having good results. Number 20, expecting people to know everything about everything. How can you not know that? Telling people to Google it because they are too dumb for you to take the time to talk to and explain. I've probably said Google it. I, I'll go ahead and admit. <laughs> You've definitely said, how do you not know that? Yes. How do you not know what Juneteenth is? Yes. How do you not know 1619 and the importance of that? And I, you have... I don't know what 1619 is. <laughs> <laughs> pointed it out to me that that was when the first slave oh, yes. came to America. There we go. There we go. Yeah. Thank you. But I mean, there's all these things. You're like, how do you not know that? You need to Google that. And it's like, oh, okay. But, you know, there's been a few factoids about American history that you haven't known either. Yes, that's true. Like the presidents or (laughs) Boston Tea Party. There's a whole bunch. That there were three branches of government. Yeah, three branches of government. Yes, all those things. But I think a good point for this and even in our back and forth is to say that even, even in doing the work for this, we even have these conversations of Google it or how can you not know that? And I think that it comes back and forth for both sides. I don't think you've ever told me to Google it, but you've also said like, how can you not know that? Yeah. And I think it, this list is being built and it was built from our own um, situation, you know, our own reality. So yes, Googling it can be offensive and tiring. But I think on the other hand, though. Well, and not so much offensive, but demeaning. Mm-hmm. That if you're really going to be in relationship with the other person, as we were talking about earlier, just telling someone to Google it is fairly dismissive. Yes, I would and agree with that. you have to be willing to strive with people and help them understand and, and help them to see your point of view. And part of that is educating them on both sides mm-hmm. and not to be frustrated with them simply because they don't know something that you know. Yes. And do your homework. Both sides. Do your homework. Like that doesn't mean that you don't ask questions. It doesn't mean that you shut down conversation, but we also don't, at least for me, like I don't want to rely solely on somebody else to do all my homework for me. Like I can, Google something, you know, and come to the conversation with a little bit more knowledge than what I would have had had I not done any research. Like, let's because that I think is also tiring for people. Now, now I need to teach you everything. Everything. Yeah. No. Yeah. I mean, I've really worked at taking initiative of like, hey, I watched this video today. Mm -hmm. Can you help me understand this part? Yes. So you be watching some videos, girl. (laughs) Yes, you do. (laughs) <laughs> but not expecting you to explain to me every nuance of racial issues from your point of view, but me taking initiative, but then having a safe place to go to, to say, okay, I understood all of this, but this part of it, I didn't understand. Mm-hmm. Help me bridge the the cultural gap here with the terminology or, or what's being explained. I, I just don't get it. Yes. And so having that balance of initiative but also having a safe place to to come and, and talk about it. Yes, I agree with that. Okay, 21. Lack of information. Speaking from what we think or from what we've heard, sometimes you will need to Google it. Sometimes you will. Sometimes you will. And I, I think that um, lack of information is a big problem. You know, I've heard something from a source or... You I know, read a meme. Yes, 
and we take that at face value. To I be read 100%. an infographic. Yes. That's not research. Mm-hmm. You might have to go chase down some primary sources. You might have to go do some homework and look things up and just expect that this is a hard conversation. There's a lot of aspects to it. And sometimes it does, it does send you away to think about things more deeply and do some more homework. Yeah. So... Okay, number 22, anger, bitterness, resentment, lack of forgiveness. This is why I think that having a relationship at stake is so important. Because if you don't have a relationship at stake, it's easy just to fall into the offense and kind of ghost the relationship and just let it go. But you have to practice the spiritual discipline of forgiveness and rooting out bitterness if there's a relationship at stake. If you want to stay in friendship with somebody, you're going to have to sort sort yourself. Yes, because talking about race is one way to end your friendships. So <laughs> Real quick. Real quick. Anger, bitterness, resentment, you can't hold on to it. You really have to be able to move on and move on quickly. And allow for people to make mistakes, mm-hmm. like we said earlier. Allow for people to make misstatements but also allow people to change their minds yeah Yeah. and listen generously listen when someone says hey that hurt you said this and that hurt me or this feels dismissive when you say this yeah yeah okay number 23 reasons the 23rd reason why people uh, don't talk about race they don't want to they don't want to they just don't Mm -mm. they're opting out yes and as unfortunate as I may find that, someone else may find that to be a protective stand for them. And what I never want to do was force someone into talking about race. I used to when I first met you even. I'd be like, no, we need to talk. Let's talk about this. And you'd be like, really? <laughs> but um, no, don't force people into conversations about race. It could be something very triggering for them. And, you know, it could just be there where they are. I think when you and I met, the reason I was so hesitant about talking about it, I wanted to talk about it in like deep inside of me, but I had had a couple of negative experiences of trying to talk to people of color about race because I did genuinely want to understand their point of view. But as I asked questions, they were so quick to try to argue with me or shame me, I felt lost. Mm. And so I just, unhooked and then I was in a protective stance and then you came along and you're like well what do you think about this what do you think about this I'm like I tried to avoid it I tried to just change the subject let's talk about baseball and you're just like well you're not answering my question this is the third time I've asked you this you're not answering my question quite persistent and I'm like I just don't want to talk about it well why not and finally just sharing like well you know, I, I tried this before and this is what happened and it didn't go well. And this is how it hurt me. And you're like, oh, yeah. I remember being on a hike with you <laughs> and being like, let's talk about this. We had just started and you were like, I don't talk about that. And then you kept going. And I was like, oh, well, she's clear. <laughs> there it is. Yeah. Yeah. So. So there you go. 23 reasons why. People don't want to talk about race. Yeah. What are some of your reasons? Hopefully we can do another video at some point about a way forward. Yeah, that'd be awesome. um, Talking about something positive, but just 
for now trying to identify the disease. Mm-hmm. That these are the frequent postures that we get ourselves into. And uh, it does make it hard. We need to do better. We need to find a way forward. We need to have these conversations. We yes. need to talk about race. But we need to find a way to do it that's not demeaning, that's not name-calling, that's not destructive, that brings that has the fruit of unity. Yes. That allows both parties, or all parties, to come to the table and sit and be heard and to share in a, in a way that's safe. Yeah. And people know that they are wanted and valued. Yeah, I just... I don't know that we're there yet, but mm. my prayer and my heart is that we get there and we get there soon. Well, thanks for joining us and eavesdropping on our conversation about race. And I don't know if they were eavesdropping. I feel like we was just kind of, you know, having like a family chat. <laughs> but tell us your reasons. Why do you avoid the conversation about race? Um, and tell us also if this video helped you to maybe identify some reasons why you're avoiding the conversation and some risks that you're wanting to take in this area. Yeah. Feel free to email us at attlivestream at gmail.com. Thanks for watching. Bye-bye. Bye.